listening to the Food Talk Show. Hi there, my name is Sue Nelson and for the next half an hour or so we're going to be talking about all things food and drink. I'm joined by my fellow presenter Ollie Lloyd. Hey. Who was the founder of Great British Chefs. Yeah, it was. Long well, time ago now. <laughs> Long time ago, now. I, I didn't used to have grey hair in those days. No, you've got a funky shirt on today. Yeah, thanks. Actually, yeah. it seems like it's got little flowers on it. Well, I mean, you told me I didn't care about clothes the other day, so I thought I'd try and, you know, dress up a bit, you know, for these occasions. I mean, I know it's radio, well, but, you know, maybe we'll do black tie next time. It's because you're, you're a slight, I know you like to say you're a hipster, but you're a slight hippie, really. Hippie? No, 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 I'm not. Are you not? No, no. I only did Glastonbury once, and I Don't paid. It? Knowing you did it in middle class, way, did you have one of those glamping... No, no, no. I, I, remember, I remember arriving in the pouring rain and saying to my wife, who, who was not my wife at that time, what on earth are we doing here? As the rain came down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. not quite my thing. Yeah. Um, we're joined today by Peveril Manners, which, let's face it, is a damn good name. Can we call you Pev? <laughs> yeah, short? you can, yeah. Yeah, Pev, short. And um, Pev and his family run Belvoir Fruit Farms. And very familiar to me, your elderflower cordial. Thank you. I buy a lot. Um, very nice. So we're going to talk about elderflowers and um, Jamie Crummy. Too good to go. Hi, Jamie. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Getting a little bit famous. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> so I started to see your face everywhere. You know, like in Speciality Food magazine with our mate Holly Shackleton writing about you. And you know, all good things. I hope. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> well, we'll find out. We'll find out about that. Polly's not here today. So we She's not anything. here today, so we can yeah. say what we want. Yeah. So we want. So let's um, let's start off with elderflowers. So elderflowers to me just feel very British. I'm not quite sure why. Are they actually particularly British? Yeah, they are. They're really British. I yeah. mean, they're traditional English thing that's been going on for hundreds of years. It crop up in John Evelyn's Medieval Herbalist and, in about and 1610. Are they prevalent in other countries? You get, you get them in France, but they get a bit burned off by the heat, usually. Right. You get okay. them in Northern Europe. You get them in Denmark, Germany, Sweden, up there a bit. Okay. But they're well, very English. Elderflowers come from the elder tree, mm-hmm. which generally grows a sort of shrub or a small tree to a height of around 5 to 10 metres. Flat-topped clusters, I can't believe I said that properly, <laughs> tiny creamy white flowers appear in June. So they're, they're very, very distinctive in, in the way they're, they're all out at the moment. Um, they're pretty, aren't they? They're pretty. Yeah, they're uh, very pretty. Uh, they, make yeah. the, they make the bushes and the hedgerows turn white with yeah. these big, flat, creamy umbels. Mm. They're sort of white with yellow stamens in the middle. And they're very pretty. And they smell lovely when they're Yeah, they do fresh. smell great. They smell of sort of... Um, like, mm. Nature. Nature, there you go. Summer to me. Hey, summer. Yeah, to many to many people, um, fragrance is, is a little bit sweet, but many people say it's, you know, the smell is summery. It is of summer. And uh, they're great because they do attract uh, masses of insects as well. Oh, my God, yeah. Yeah. If you've been picking elderflowers for a day, you shake your head and out comes a wildlife All those bugs. conundrum. Of wildlife bugs of your own. Well, we should yeah. say Pev has yeah. a fine head of hair, so you can definitely see. <laughs> Every that, you know, tucked you know. in with loads and of hair. My bouffant is quite full of bugs all summer. Fine, yeah. <laughs> and the flowers. Clearly not a career for me. No, no, no. Not for you, no. <laughs> You'd be good, yeah. The flowers and berries are the only <laughs> edible part of the plant, but they're mildly. 
toxic. So you can't, it's not really something you would eat raw and they're, they're pretty unpleasant. You have to sort of cook them a little bit, don't yeah, you? Yeah, the berries are bitter. Um, mm. But they're used, they're used as food colouring all over Europe. Mm. Um, for the sambuca, when you see the um, anthocyanins expressed on a yoghurt packet or something, mm. blackcurrant yoghurt, that's usually coloured with elderberry extract mm. done in huge German plants where they harvest hundreds and hundreds of tonnes of this stuff. Yeah. In various levels of darkness. And it's a perfectly lovely natural food colouring, which really isn't dangerous. Mm. If you eat a pound or a kilo of elderberries, you're going to feel a bit poorly. But you would, if you, a, you, would, you would if you had a kilo of strawberries. Yeah, it's not going to kill you. Um, I've eaten a kilo of strawberries once. <laughs> <laughs> do do? Well done. I have too. Um, we so, grow them. <laughs> um, Belvoir Fruit Farms nestles yeah. deep in the English yeah. countryside in the idyllic Vale of Belvoir. Where mm. is that? Or beaver, as we call it. Oh, it's called... Oh, God. Sorry. <laughs> have, I, have I pronounced it wrong all no, no, the way no. through? No, no, no. There's no beaver. right or wrong. Beaver, okay. Um, it, locally, that? everyone Where calls it beaver, and everyone, everywhere else, everyone calls it Belvoir. Belvoir. Yeah. It's sort of between Grantham and Melton Mowbray, oh, on okay. the way to Nottingham. Lincolnshire. Oh, it sounds like somewhere? a French word. Yeah, Belvoir. Belvoir. Yeah, it Belvoir. Was, I'll tell you a story. It Good was for you. William the oh. Conqueror's in French standard bearer in the Battle of Hastings was sent north to rule the area as a conqueror, and he stood on the top of the hill and went, oh, quel Belvoir, what a lovely view. Yeah. And then it was Belvoir, Belvoir. originally. So it is right to call it Belvoir. And then when we fought the French for 100 years in the Middle Ages, culminating in Agincourt and all that in 14-something, um, all the English names, all the French names became anglicised. So Beaulieu became Beaulieu. Beauchamp became Beecham. Because we're rubbish at pronouncing, let's face got it. it. Exactly. And all French, <laughs> French words were out of fashion suddenly. Yeah. So hang on, as the, as, the man who, as the man who migrated GIF to SIF, I can... I can yeah, you rest my case. Yeah, exactly. I do rest my case. Now, um, I understand that when you pick um, the, the sort of flowers, the elderflowers, it's really important you do it at the right time. It's important you get them fresh into the pot that day. We right. pick all day because we need so many of them. Last yeah. year, we collected 50 tonnes of flowers. Wow. And by the time this has gone out, I'll be able to tell you how many we've picked this year, but I can't tell you right now because it's before the harvest. But um, 50 tonnes of flowers is a hell of a lot. If you think a full transit van, full to the roof is a tonne if you're lucky. We're trying to pick 50 tonnes of flowers just in locally from wild and then the organic ones from our local farm, from our fields. And they're picked by hand. And every day we make a syrup with fresh lemons and fresh lemon juice and sugar and water, waiting for the flowers. And then we infuse the flowers in the syrup, fresh. So it has to be fresh to retain the lovely um, aroma, the lovely smell of the flowers in the smell mm. of summer. And then that infuses in the syrup. And then we filter them all out after a certain period of time um, when they've infused, the infusion's done. Mm. It's rather like a tea bag. Um, except this time it's fresh flowers. And, and the, the wow. plants give this lovely flavour. I've got a bottle here. And it's yeah, got I'm this drink, lovely aroma. I'm drinking it here. Um, now, I've, I've found a quote that you, you've said. Oh, probably plenty of them. Probably. <laughs> the, the secret of a really good elderflower cordial is to use masses of flowers that have been picked in the sunshine when they're warm and heavy with yellow pollen. Then get them into vat within three hours. And that gives the drink its delicate floral taste. That's I mean, right. That is right. That's right. Summer, just even it does, thinking it? about it. There's something incredibly British about that. There is, isn't there? But you were saying also that this is a recipe that it's not like you just invented this yourself. No, it's mum's. Um, mum gave it to us as children all our life. So that's, that's Mary. Mary, mum. Yep. Hi, Mary. Mary Manners. Well, she's no longer here, sadly. Oh, she well, passed she could away be some few years back. She'll be listening. Mm, she'll be listening. She'll upstairs, be listening. Upstairs, mm-hmm. hopefully. Now, mum was all right, and she was. Um, 
head elderflower maker for years and years and years. And one day, Dad came back from the fruit farm, having grown lots of strawberries. There's a big field of strawberries, and people were doing a pick-your-own on just a little bit of it. And he was walking around the outside bit, going, God, what am I going to do with all these overripe strawberries? And he went over to Mum and said, Mary, Mary, I've got a really good idea. We're going to make a strawberry drink. I'm going to buy a wine press, you know, one of those ones you screw down, mm. and you get the juice out of the bottom. We're going to make a fresh strawberry drink. It'll taste amazing with all these lovely overripe strawberries. And she went, yeah, fine, Johnny. Just give me a hand with the elderflower, will you? And the father looked at him and went, crikey, because the kitchen table was covered in bowls of elderflower steeping. So they did about three hours' work on filtering this stuff through muslin into another bowl and then pan-pouring it into bottles. And at the end, they had about 30 bottles of finished elderflower cordial. And Dad said to Mum, who are all these for? And, he, and she went, well, fives for Caroline, fives for Jeanne, fives for Mary Rose, fives for Caroline Fennick, and so on and so on and so on. And we want about 10 at home. And Dad went... Wiping his brow, crikey. Uh, are you charging for any of them? <laughs> and, uh, and she went, no, don't be ridiculous. They're my friends. Just as you would if you're making jam. Um, and she probably was swapping it for jam. And so then he thought, okay, let's see if we can sell it. And so he Lo made and he made 100 cases that year, and that was 1984. Wow. Well, I've made um, elderflower gin, as you would expect. I Cordial, would expect that. not for me. I would no. expect that. Pardon? I would expect that. Yeah. It's so good. It was very nice, actually. <laughs> yeah. Really nice. And you'd literally just pick the elderflowers from your hedgerows in Kent. Yep. Come on, good gin. I know, don't do so. Cheap gin. <laughs> and uh, that, no, just steep, steep, steep it in the flowers. Absolutely gorgeous. For how long? Oh, I this is a secret recipe. I can't remember now how long I did it for. <laughs> Was it really good? Mm, it is. It is good. I've made slow I, I have to say, I do think that cordial's nicer with elderflowers. Cordial's lovely mm, with, I th- with I th- gin. For That's some delicious. reason, For some reason, I think it's nicer in, in um, cordial. I actually think the, the red sort of fruits and berries and damsons and things I, I think are great with gin. Oh, it's damson gin and snow mm. gin are delicious. But but elderflowers definitely, just, I don't know, for some reason it makes a great cordial. I don't, I don't know why. I well, think what's also interesting about the cordial world is that, you know, we've talked about this a lot over the years, is that there is a growing interest in avoiding alcohol. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, if you look at, you know, even amongst an older generation, um, you know, even some of us have worked out we shouldn't be drinking alcohol all the time. And actually, you look at actually, you know, a sub-30 generation, there's definitely, you know, the, I think the percentages are up in sort of 25% now, completely teetotal. Yeah, I've read it's at least 20, te- yeah. properly teetotal. And mm. people are going to pubs and clubs and saying, what have you got that isn't yeah. the normal, yeah. what have you got standard that's decent, thanks that's very decent much. to drink? Yeah. Yeah. As opposed to Coke from a gun. <laughs> yeah. Coca-Cola syrup mixed <clears throat> Which has in no a benefit mm. to man or beast. No. Mm. So, um, uh, yes, I really like this. Um, actually, it does make great um, cocktails as well. It's quite an interesting base for some cocktails, going yeah. back to the drinking thing. What's, 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 what's the, the Pev Manor's cocktail of the summer? Well, mum, the one mum used to have, which was always lovely, is a bit of our beaver elderflower cordial at the bottom, lots of ice, then you put in about a bottle of wine, and then you put in about two bottles worth of sparkling water on top, Mix it around, so you've got elderflower, white wine and soda, like a spritzer. And then you bung in a little bit of borage and mint at the top with the ice. And it's mm. absolutely delicious. The well, mint's just a tiny bit of mint with the elderflower. It's lovely. Mm. But you My try making cocktail. it and it doesn't really go. Your favourite cocktail? With this. So, um, elderflower cordial. Yeah. Apple juice. Mm-hmm. Oh. Tiny bit of fennel bitters. Ooh, where'd you get them from? Online. Uh-huh. Um, and gin, loads and loads of ice. Gorgeous. Delicious. Mm. Gorgeous. Gin, elderflower, apple juice and fennel bitters. Yeah. I love fennel. Yeah, a little bit that of fennel. But only a, it's a bit like the mint, only a tiny bit, mm. but uh, I don't mm. know. Um, I think elderflower is really good at bringing flavours out. Or did you? 
No, no, no. It was in a, I went to some bar somewhere and it was so nice. I just said, can you tell me how you make that? <laughs> <laughs> so good. I need to recreate that at home. <laughs> it's fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. Um, yes, so tell us what else you um, produce because obviously, um, um, you know, the, the brand is quite sort of familiar now, I think. You're, you're in, yeah, must well, be in practically every supermarket in the planet. Um, so, so how have you sort of moved on? We used to get thrown out of supermarket a year, roughly for being um, intransigent, but that's, that's when I was running it anyway, mm. when I was running the supermarket sales side. Um, I'm not allowed in, into supermarkets, no. Too much of a liability. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but we make a, we make, what other cordials do we make? We make an amazing ginger cordial, which is quite unique because what we start with is fresh ginger, not flavourings. Mm. So we cook fresh ginger, make a ginger tea, and then we add a little bit of sugar to that to make a ginger syrup. And then we add in a couple of extracts from a guy we know, and then we add in ginger juice. Mm. which is really expensive and really, really good. And that gives it the most astonishing aroma. Mm. Then we make ginger beer from that or sell it straight as ginger cordial Mm. next to the elderflower in the supermarkets. And that really is good. We make a raspberry and lemon cordial, which is, guess what? Fresh raspberries, fresh lemons. Lovely. Um, Slightly harder to make a really amazing cordial from because fresh raspberry juice is fantastic and we can't quite get the really epic raspberry concentrate. Because whenever they concentrate juice, they always take the flavouring off the top. Yeah. And I want to add it back in, mm-hmm. but I don't want to buy flavouring, so it's quite tricky. Because um, we have a policy of absolutely no flavours in our in our business, natural or unnatural, because they are they give a very heavy, hard taste to drinks, which you you can't get rid of. So if you've had, I don't know, if you had an orange flavoured water for for lunch, you can't get rid of the orange flavour on mm. your tongue for about yeah. half an hour, yeah. and it, it's no good with food. So we try very hard not to use flavourings. Um, we do an amazing um, uh, lemon and mint cordial, organic. That's really good. Mm. With a fabulous mint extract, which someone does for us, actually. But they just use mint, mint leaves for it. We do, um, what else do we do? Blueberry and blackcurrant, which knocks a certain... Pretty much everything, really, then. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And you, do you keep coming up with new flavours every year? Is it sort of, are you, you trying to get into that whole idea of bringing new things out and stuff? Or is it... We're trying to get more simple, actually. Um, we changed our lemonade to being a freshly squeezed lemonade last year. So that the lemonade is made from freshly squeezed lemons, but a sugar and water, and that's it. Mm. And it is so much clearer. So it's not and a cordial. No, that's a fizzy sparkling that's lemonade. Um, we've taken the sugar out of our presses, a lot of sugar out of our sparkling drinks, for mm. no detriment in flavour at all. We, without using anything else, we've just been a bit, a bit canny about how we do it. There's some, um, there's some real room now for what I would call grown-up cordials, grown-up mm. drinks that mm. aren't alcoholic, aren't there, Ollie? And we're Def- finding that in your research. Well, and I think you know, if you look at the brands that sort of made the cordial market in the old days it was pretty you know rubbish yeah i mean it was you know you know it's the sort of sugar family squash market which is you know if you take that market it's just i mean it's so i mean the flavors are just so appalling Mm. and you know actually yeah it's just sugar and and artificial flavors yeah Mm. well Um, we've just launched two family squashes because we had an outcry on our social media feeds about a certain well-known blackcurrant cordial reformulating last summer mm. and taking all the goodies out and replacing it with chemistry and cutting the price by a quid, which is exactly what they did for a regular bottle of this blackcurrant stuff. So we thought, oh, okay, people don't want artificial sweeteners, they don't want flavouring. It's just the taste of it. You Let's give them a really good one. So we've yeah. just launched a blackcurrant mm. family cordial, we call it, and, a, and an orange family cordial, which are made from nothing except water, sugar, Blackcurrant juice and a bit of lemon juice. Is your seven-year-old your main taster on these things? Uh, he's he's he was drinking about a pint of it yesterday because he was playing football <laughs> and he needed recharging afterwards <laughs> and and lightsabers, obviously. Mm. <laughs> 
Do you like that, Jamie? Are you? Um, do you have the old cordial? No. I'm quite boring, actually. I, I just drink a lot of water. Do you? Water mm. and crushed ice. <laughs> okay. Well, crushed uh, ice. Yeah, I don't know why. just really like it crushed. I guess it because it feels like a cocktail. <laughs> no, like I tell a, a lie. Is this in the office? You're like you've got a you got your own. No, we, do, we don't maker. have a crushed ice, ice maker there. But what I do love though is is lemons or fruits in in my waters. Yeah, mm. Mm. But I guess everybody does. Yeah, mm. sure. Very good. So over to you then, Jamie. Um, I was taking the mickey out of you. You're getting so famous now. But <laughs> I, I think the thing for me is 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 what you're trying to do um, in terms of. Um, Food waste. It's a really, really, really big issue. Um, I think we see an awful lot around food waste in the home um, and a lot of people are very guilty about throwing food away, but but sometimes it's really difficult, um, particularly bread. So half the bread we ever buy gets thrown away and things like that. I give to my chickens. Um, yeah, we don't all have chickens, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, uh, and if you uh, rap, who um, are the sort of official body for, for, for sort of waste, they say that um, there are... 3.4 million tonnes of waste, um, dispute, you know, food waste um, in the food sector every year. Um, and 600,000 tonnes of that are from pubs, restaurants, hotels, quick service restaurants, you know, um, it, it, it sort of food waste. Um, and actually that probably could be avoidable but there's real issues isn't there about um we have to produce this we have to put a date on it and by the end of the day if we don't sell it we have to get rid of it mm. is that what you're finding jamie so or is, of that, or is, it, or is of, it more complicated than that well first of of that six hundred thousand that 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 you talk about there about 400 plus thousand tons of that is edible unavoidable okay so we're still you know we we as you rightly allude to there we have this sense of overproduction mm. um and I guess it really goes back to this notion that, you know, it's consumer-led and we can't buy from em- empty shelves. So, so so can I just rewind on that? Sorry to interrupt and, and before you go on. So what you're saying is then that a retailer doesn't like to have empty shelves, let's say, halfway through the afternoon mm-hmm. because somehow, I don't know, it reflects on them that either they're not very good at ordering or, or it doesn't feel very attractive and therefore nobody wants to buy the last thing on the shelf. And therefore what they tend to do is overproduce so that almost at the end of the day, on purpose, that, that, that there's going to be more than they need. Is that what you're saying? Well, if we take it this way and we use the food-to-go market... It's essentially window shopping, right? Like you're going past, and one of the big sort of hooks is is seeing like a a you know a beautiful display filled to the rafters, um, and then we use that same sort of um, logic towards retailers. You know, we have we have supermarkets now which are uh, twenty four hours, and we as consumers pretty much demand that the the shelves are fully stacked throughout the day. So there's this one. There's this expectation. Uh, that you know there should be food and there should be choice and it should be convenient, but at the same time, it's a it's an it's an enabler. You know, if you walk past a shop that doesn't have a beautiful display, why are you going to go in? Mm. So when you when you work out this, um, you know, the ROI on having like a a, a fully a fully stacked fridge, well, it makes more sense uh, because then you're going to be having more consumers or, or people coming through than if you were really conscious about the amount of wastage you had because essentially you can't uh, you can't waste what is isn't there. So there is this sort of di- dichotomy. So there will be a strategy in, in essence. Mm. So so even if you are you know the shop manager or whatever, that it's very likely that 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 you know the brand or whoever's running it will say, well, this is this is how we do it. <clears throat> 
Um, and then, and then at the end of the day, what, what normally happens if you don't get involved? It literally just gets thrown away, or how does it get collected? Or well, very much depends <coughs> on the on the institution themselves. They may have partnerships with local charities, um, who would then have to come and collect that food, or other sort of community groups. But what we increasingly find is there's certain food types which um, organisations don't want. Um, you know whether that's hot food, as you know the food standards of um, health, health standards around around hot food means it has to maintain a certain temperature. So very few people have the resources in which to you know keep that food hot. Then we also find that you know the times of which. Um, restaurants may may be closing doesn't really tie up with the time that people traditionally want to eat or where volunteers can come and collect. So there is this huge gap there. So they might be closing at half eleven at night, and who's going to go around there and collect food then? Yeah. Exactly, yeah. Um, and you know that food then has to be eaten that day for whatever reason. So you know it's it's not necessarily the case where that food can be can be stored and then collected the following day. But also like the cost of that food. You know when we're thinking about the amount that. Um, you know, a local deli might, might might be disposing. It could be a few sandwiches or salads, in which case, um, for them, it's the logic of, well, this is very little, little food waste. So really what the platform is trying to do is connect businesses who have this surplus food, they don't currently have a solution, um, and connect them with, with consumers, with hungry consumers who want to who wanna rescue and eat that food. So, so who who are your sort of clients in terms of the food service sector? Is it all sorts of people? Is it mostly independents? Is it chains? Who, who's normally it, quite keen to? Yeah, it really varies. So we work with about eighteen thousand different vendors, um, and they stretch from you know, independents, local cafes or bakeries, um, to you know, national change or international chains, so the likes of Costa Coffee or things like that, to supermarkets as well as hotels. So really, wherever there's food waste, we're looking to work with them um, to ensure that, that that food can be captured and, and, and enjoyed for what it was made for, which was to be eaten. And then how do you link to a hungry person at the end of the day? <laughs> um, yeah, so really it relies on people knowing about it. Right. Um, so consumers will download our, our app, and then, uh, you know, it's really simple from, from the moment they download, they can start re- rescuing food or collecting food from one of our partners. So, so do you then go, so you go around and collect from food service, you, you have it, you hold it somewhere and then somebody goes to that as opposed to going to the individual restaurant, as opposed to going to the individual deli? No, no, sorry. So we're connecting the consumers with, with, the, with the food retailers. Oh, so okay. So you're at, an at, enabler at the, as opposed exactly, to, you're, you're, yeah. not, you're a middle person sitting in the middle. So. so we're essentially a marketplace for surplus yep. food. Um, so it allows the, the actual customer to go to that restaurant that's closing at 11.30, for example, and collect that food um, right there before closing. And is the app geolocated? So in the sense that these are the places around you and these are the things that are available? Exactly, yeah. So you'll see um, places which are, are, are closest to you. And then if you want, you can filter via preference or search specific areas as well. And have you found any of the food service uh, people have said, oh, actually, I don't think I want to 
really join this because actually I'll never sell anything because actually I'll just have a queue of customers <laughs> around the corner at 11 30 and therefore, yeah. you know, everybody will go, well, it's free food, so I don't really have to... You know, is it something they'd be worried about? Yeah, well, this raises, like, an interesting topic around, like, cannibalisation and people often wonder, you know, um, you know, if people can collect our food for a fraction of the price, will they not just wait to the end of service? But, mm. you know, I think first and foremost, what people are doing, they're collecting... They're doing a good thing and they're collecting food that would otherwise be thrown away. Also, the the times in which people are collecting, it's it's the end of either breakfast, lunch, or dinner service. And I don't I don't know about you guys, but if I'm hungry at lunch, I've got to eat at lunch. I can't I can't I can't wait. Can't wait to three o'clock. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, so there's 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 that factor as well. But what we're really really trying to achieve is making the topic of food waste something that's accessible and something that's fun. And with that, we know that, um, particularly in the hospitality sector, knowing what what food is going to be left over is near impossible. You know, if we knew that um, you know the salads were going to be left o- o- over today, we wouldn't have produced more. So there's this unpredictability around around fooders, and with that, users that are collecting food through the app don't actually know what food they're going to collect. Um, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So that yeah, I don't yeah. know if they're going to get a full dinner party or just, no, just no. a salad. Well, exactly. So if you're <laughs> if you're if you're collecting from a sushi restaurant, for example, you don't know exactly what sushi you're 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 going to collect, but you can be pretty damn sure that it's going to be some sort of Japanese food. So with that, there's this whole aspect of of what we like to call a magic bag. It's a surprise and it's this sense of discovery, which is really making this um, this fight against food waste something that's you know fun and easy and accessible. I think that there is really important uh, to what to what it is that we're trying to address and who i mean obviously you sort of said that you know you're trying to feed people who are hungry who is it you're finding it taking advantage of the, this platform is there a sort of demographic or is there a mm. certain group that because obviously you know if you have a smartphone mm-hmm. it's probably not relevant so i mean are there certain groups that you're finding are, are more likely to embrace your platform sure so I think the the well, what we know from our from our uh, customer research is our main users tend to be people in the age between about twenty five and forty five. Um, so this is often like a working population. But what we're increasingly seeing as well is parents who are using the app with their um, with their with with their children and getting them involved with this connection with food from a really young age. So that's a really nice um, development we're seeing currently. And are people doing that because they are food poor, you know, they're struggling um, um, to feed themselves or their family, or are they doing it because, you you know, they hate food waste and and it it feels like a good thing to do, or obviously a mixture of the two? Well, I think it it really goes down to what we're trying to achieve. And for us, it's about highlighting and educating um, and wanting to inspire people to take action against food waste. So whether that's a motivation for seeing food waste as a moral or financial or environmental issue may change from from person to person. Um, But what I think we're really trying to see is is people actually wanting to take action against food waste. It's a really simple um, and accessible way to, to have a stance on something. Um, it's not necessarily preaching to the converted, but it's something where we're appealing to masses and trying to address um, food waste from the mainstream. I think when we talk about, you know, is it you mentioned, is it a, is it targeting people who are food poor? I think it's 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 more about um, addressing everyone so that we can really have that connection, that physical and, and emotional connection with food that I think we we've we've really intrinsically lost within our culture. And what's your? I mean, obviously you're providing a service mm-hmm. how are you remunerated for what you're doing 
So yeah, through the platform, it's it's free for um, you users to use, apart from the cost of the meal in which they pay. Um, and then incorporated into this uh, into this price of food, we take a, a administration fee, which goes back into developing our movement. So we can. So well, the consumers who are picking stuff up are paying on some level. Yeah. So they're, they're paying usually between sort of you know two to five pounds, and what what they'll collect is food of about three times the value of of what they've collected. So if you pay you know five pounds, you'll be essentially collecting about fifteen plus pounds worth of food at at regular re- retail price. I mean, you, you've Sorry. obviously thought a lot about this space. Do you mm. feel more, I mean, I think this is at times, for those of us who are passionate about food, the whole idea of sort of food waste and food banks and stuff, feels like this just this complete nightmare zone. Do you, as you look around amongst, I'm going to deliberately use a word which is probably not correct, but your competitors, right. do you feel this is a vibrant sector where people are coming up with strong solutions and that we're making progress on? Health and safety is a real issue when it comes to food waste. You know, you can't, you know, you can't palm off something like mm. that when, and actually it's not safe. <clears throat> you, you know, you just can't do that. And obviously the responsibility of that is huge for the for the food service operator. Mm. So it's quite a difficult thing to navigate, isn't it, from all, all sides, really? Yeah, I think, well, when we are looking in particular at this, this like, endemic system of food waste we have, um, you know, you pointed out that 600,000 tonnes of food within the hospitality sector is thrown away each year. Well, around about 400,000 tonnes of that is edible. So, you know, the rest may be, you know, spoilage or plate wastage or things like that. Um, but if this is edible food in which we're throwing away, then surely there's a way in which we can we can capture that. So, you know, when our users are collecting food, it's, it's you know, the food is still perfectly good. It's still the food in which they would have served their regular consumers, but for the reasons that we've sort of gone through. It's um, that day's food. Exactly. But have you seen, Sue, from your research, if we were to... Are we able to wind back the clock and say, well, in 2017... We were at nine hundred thousand tons, and it was. There. I mean, are we, are we making any progress? Is there any? Is this a hopeful story that we're looking at here, or is this more? I don't know the answer to that. Mm. <laughs> It'd be interesting. But I mean, I suppose. I think you're right. I mean, what are the trends? I think. Yeah. Um, and I and I would expect it's shifting. So I'd imagine there's certain there's more of certain types of food waste and less of others. Yeah. And I would imagine it's quite a shifting pattern between you know whatever. I think the key thing for me is more and more people are eating out. Yeah. And and you know more you know more and more people are you know doing food on the go. That for me is cr- it's got to be mm. more of a problem mm. because what do you do with all that? Well, I think to to go on your point there, if we look at um, when food waste has actually reduced in sort of the past fifteen twenty years, the times at which it has dropped was at actually like the peak of the economic crisis so back in sort of 2007 2008 so really you know one conclusion to that would be um you know when people are really thinking about the purse strings and things like that you know the the amount of wastage tends to reduce particularly in the household so i think that there is something interesting to explore that's planning household menus more carefully isn't it Mm. 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 Well, it's definitely a space, I mean, and I think, um, I mean, you must enter the, um, you know, the the Future Food Awards, uh, which I think you've only got a couple of days left to go, actually, um, because it's, it, you know, the stuff around food and food innovation is is about technical answers, isn't it, as well as, as, as producing amazing food. And we need to see more of these schemes, would you not say, Ollie? Yeah, and big platforms. And, and what's the one that begins innovative. with an, it Ollie? Olio. Olio, which yeah. obviously is trying to redistribute stuff as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, I think, you know, 
yeah, I mean, it's I think it's got in, to be community driven. It won't work any other way, yeah. uh, will it? And I know you say here, uh, Jamie, that you have six hundred and twenty-four thousand waste warriors. Um, yeah, I think it's a, li- a little more than that now. Actually. So, so what is a waste warrior? Um, well, a w- waste warrior is someone who's actually gone out and rescued a meal. Uh, so people have joined this movement towards um, towards fighting food waste. What I really like about that is that you are somebody who's doing a good thing if you go and get this, what I would describe as cheap food. And that's looking good, isn't it? That's, that's a good status to make yourself. You know, it's not like, oh, well, I need the services of a food bank. It's like, well, I'm really helping here. I'm a waste warrior and, and, and I'm part of this food rescue. And that's, I think, one of the really interesting things is if by this you can actually take away the social stigma around it because that's obviously one of the issues around food banks and around food poverty is that actually there is a, you know, it is a younger group probably who are more aware of this problem mm-hmm. and are prepared to kind of stand up and, and fight it. I think, you know, it's really exciting. If you can, you know, use your language, make it fun, make it a points-based system, make it, you know, more of a game than actually and some a badge of honour, then actually it's quite interesting. Yeah, it's reframing it that you're mm. actually helping. You're not part of the problem. You're actually helping the problem, yeah. which, which I really like about what you're doing. It's it's, yeah. turned, it's turned it on its head a little bit. Well, I think one of the really interesting things as well is the re- research which is done quite recently shows that around about two thirds of um, of the UK public don't actually make that connection between food waste and climate change. So I think there's like a huge educational piece um, within food waste in general, about making that connection really clear. You know, I think when we look at other you know, really successful sustainability campaigns, you know, you point to Attenborough's plastic waste. And, you know, there really is that, that clear connection and causation effect between consumers throwing away plastic um, and it ending up in damaging marine life, where there isn't that same sort of connection between, you know, climate change and, and throwing food away. It's, it's very much, you know, going back down the supply chain and where that impact hurts. So it, I think there's a huge educational piece to be had to make it clear to consumers, mm. you know, the impact of throwing food away. Do you have a view on, do you have a view on the for, some for, forms of packaging that you, your food warriors will be collecting in? Do you say, please use paper, paper boxes or something like that? I think where, well, where, where possible, we always encourage our users to bring their own Tupperware. Um, but you know, at the same time, we've got to we've got to pick our battles, right? Is it is it food waste or is it you know? Yeah, fair yeah, enough. I, I think that's packaging a good point. Waste. That's a good point. So, um, so that's Jamie Crummy of Too Good to Go. Now, if you want to be a waste warrior, or probably even more important, if you want to be one of the partner stores, because the more stores we can have on board, the the better. Yeah, sure. Um, then obviously you need to go on the Too Good to Go website. And whatever, and we will put a link from Food Talk uh, website. Um, really, a really important thing, and I think um, it's a sort of tech answer as well, which I really quite like. Combination yeah, of all sorts of things. But it gives consumers a chance to engage, which yeah. is, you know, it is all about tech solutions to someone's problem, yeah. rather than tech solutions to no one's problem. It sounds like you've done a really good job <laughs> yeah. of actually creating a tech <laughs> yeah. solution that's there's, there's, a, there's, there's, an, there's an end problem in terms of waste yeah. and there's a consumer opportunity and it's really interesting to see yeah. those two being brought together. Too, yeah. So if you're in food service you you know, and you're, you're, you're chucking this stuff away or, or getting it collected, you know, maybe maybe it's something you should you should think of. It's good for your brand, isn't it? It's got to be, Jamie. It's a, it's a good sort of... Definitely. I think it's know, a... It's a thing to be doing. It's a great way of showing your your own customers that you're actively taking a stance on on, a, on addressing food waste, which is a growing and growing issue. Mm, very good. So we'll put loads and loads of links on there. And um, Pev Manners from, I've learned to say, Beaver Fruit Farms. 
Belvoir. Thank you. Uh, Beaver Fruit Farms. Um, I love the elderflower cordial. If you haven't tried it, why not? Yeah, it's and, good. And, and, we, and I think we gave away a whole lot of oh, recipes for oh, cocktails. Cocktails, yeah. There we go. Summer cocktails. <laughs> you know, if, if you want to, <laughs> yeah. if you know, whatever the weather this weekend. But you know. it's great with uh, sparkling water, I quite like. It's lovely just straight with sparkling water. Sparkling water. Oh. And I, I think I might try just a tiny bit of mint in, uh, as you just suggested. Just a tiny bit that of mint. Sounds it's quite lovely nice. with it. Yeah. Yes, very good. Thank you very much. Um, so, thank you. Um, thank you once again, Ollie. You're welcome. Um, we didn't have Holly with us today. No, she's off doing something. I can't remember she's what. Just, yeah, she's, she's, just, she's busy. Mm, I think she's in the next programme, so that's really good. Um, you've been listening to the Food Talk Show, and as you know, we're syndicated to radio stations across the UK and further afield, as well as being available on Stitcher, Spotify, Podbean, iTunes, and the podcast app on your phone. Thank you to Ollie. Nice shirt. Thank you. I hope you're going to make an effort next, next week. week. I'll, I'll see what I can do. <laughs> it's the flowers on it. The flowers yeah. on it are slightly, you know, they sort of fit the the beaver farm fruit farm oh, or flowery yeah. elderflowers yeah there's our elderflowers yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens next week oh it could just be waste food actually Jamie <laughs> he's probably spilt it all down here. Um, if you want to recommend any future guests someone doing something groundbreaking in the food sector just like Pev and Jamie please do um, contact us via Twitter on at Food Talk Show or of course you can listen to hundreds of podcasts we've got going back years foodtalk.co.uk I do hope you have a good week. Bye now.